Hello, my name is Michael Pina, and I am the Director of Admission at the University of Richmond in Richmond, Virginia. Hi, I'm Wendy Ayala, Manager of the Scholars Program for Collegiate Directions in Bethesda, Maryland, and this is the Anchor Exchange. We have to be those kinds of people with the parents. They're a part of that because every parent sees something in their child that I, as an admission officer, cannot see. Hello and welcome to the Anchor Exchange, a podcast and conversation space developed by college admission professionals for college admission professionals. The show is produced by and will feature throughout the membership of PCACAC, the Potomac and Chesapeake Association for College Admission Counseling, known to many as PCACAC. I'm your host, Jonathan Gowan, an admission officer and member of Potomac and Chesapeake's Communications Committee. On today's episode, we're going to complete our roundup of the multi-episode arc focused on student recruitment by discussing the challenges faced by underrepresented and minoritized students in the college search process and some of the ways that we're working to promote equity. With us are Michael Pina, Director of Admission at the University of Richmond in Richmond, Virginia, and Wendy Ayala, Manager of the Scholars Program for Collegiate Directions in Bethesda, Maryland. Wendy, Michael, thank you for coming on the show. So excited to be here and looking forward to the conversation with you and Wendy. Definitely echo what Michael has to say. I'm really grateful you both are willing to take some time out of your days, especially during this dark winter, to come onto the show. And I really, you know, as we start off, I wonder if you would share a little bit about yourselves with our listeners at home. Could you summarize for us your professional pathways and your journeys to the roles that you currently hold? Wendy, would you like to kick us off? Well, where do I start? <laughs> so I started working at uh, CDI, Collegiate Directions, as an administrative assistant in 2016. Um, I actually was a CDI scholar myself. And so after I graduated, I thought, why not go back to where my educational journey started, um, truthfully? And so my love for education has grown from there. A year after that, I became a counselor um, and even more involved. And I, in 2020, beginning of pandemic, I actually started my role as program manager. And so what I do as program manager is I do oversee the scholars team. Um, my goal is not only to develop and improve programming to support the strategic direction of our organization, but to develop and improve new ways to better help our students with the college application process. And I mean, that means academically and personally. Um, Part of that does include, a large part of it does include cultivating existing and new relationships with our partner high schools, other college access programs, um, and colleges and universities like the University of Richmond. Outstanding. And I'm Michael Pina, and uh, I started my career in, in higher ed way back in the 1900s, as my kids like to remind me. Uh, and I started off as an admission officer after uh, a good friend of mine from college wrote, they wrote a job description that exactly written for you. And that was an assistant director and a, a leader of the multicultural recruitment efforts for a college. And you know, in a, in a roundabout way, I went, I left and finished my, my degree in law. I practiced for a few years, but always missed what was really my calling. I came back on the, on the counseling side and for 15 years, uh, worked with students at various independent schools around the country. And most recently, uh, just, uh, just a few months ago, 
I got the opportunity to come to University of Richmond as their director of admission. Our team is the team that covers the world. We're responsible for uh, outreach and partnerships, community-based organizations, of which we have 26, as well as covering the international and national recruitment effort. And I'm super excited to continue to build relationships because uh, it's really just such a great opportunity to live and work in something that I really believe in. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you both. And it, it also congratulations to both of you on your relatively recent changes uh, in the profession, your, your continued growth and leadership development. That's exciting. Now, to turn to the topic at hand, I really want to come at this from a pretty high level first. You know, we, we know that there are, uh, of course, the profession has been challenged in many different ways over the last couple of years. Of course, the pandemic is the most obvious one at the moment, but there's also been varsity blues. There's been greater calls for equity. That's not necessarily, that is a challenge. It's a positive challenge that the industry is embracing, thankfully. Uh, but I wonder, you know, especially in your roles as leaders of your respective organizations or institutions, what do you see as the primary challenges facing our underrepresented students and minoritized students in the college search process? I guess I'll go ahead and start. Um, and so exposure. Um, exposure is one of the biggest things, right? Um, not being able to visit schools, not, not having the means to do it, um, or even many students are working. Um, and that's something that the pandemic increased. Many of them had to start working um, if they weren't already before or start working more. And so taking time off to adjust and, and visit some of these even local schools um, became a little bit more difficult. Um, access to websites. So one of the hot topics I like to say was technology, right? Like not having access to all the technology, whether it was stable internet um, or even a functioning computer even when receiving equipment from the schools. Um, I can't tell you how many times <laughs> I heard students tell me that their Chromebook wouldn't let them access a college website. Um, you know, it, it kept popping up blocks for them um, or, you know, for security reasons, which we understand, um, or just the internet stability to be even to load a website, you know, we, and so that, that itself has been a barrier. Um, and just overall the, the network access, right? So when you when you don't know as a first generation student, like, and you don't know someone who has attended college before even, um, you know, you're limited to what information, like you don't even know where to start. Many of our students are like, it, it's just amazing for them to hear like, oh, let's start with the website. And they're like, oh, okay, I didn't think of that, right? And to, to think, right? Like that is the first, the first step in that. Um, I want to say the other biggest thing is going to be <laughs> financial aid. I know, like we've heard this all before, um, but just how it works is just it's it's huge. It's huge for parents and students, um, and just it's just one of the biggest challenges that we have. Um, even before pandemic, I mean, more so now, just having the conversation of understanding truly how it works um, and not limiting their options because of that, because of the assumptions that they've had in the past. Um, and so being able to help them navigate through, you know, how to find that information so that they can then make their best decision. That's my thoughts. Well, I, I agree with Wendy, and I'm, I'm also a, a first-generation college student who, for the short time that I had my father and for my mom when she was raising a single day as a single mom, she emphasized education and I was lucky enough to have mentors. I think one of the things that's missing is that there aren't enough uh, Wendy Ayala's in the world to actually meet the need of, of the students out there. 
finding people that will look at at the students for what their potential is and not just the access that they have is important. Uh, that part about learning about colleges, I do believe that the websites are, are really important and it's an important tool to connect that technology. And my hope is that universities and colleges where they have the ability will not lose that commitment to making sure that students can actually come and see, touch, feel, and smell the college and university, much like those that might be more privileged. Um, and I think that also having a school that's really, really willing not just to talk about admission, but also talk about persistence at the school, talk about what it what it is to have a sense of belonging, particularly at institutions like mine that are predominantly white institutions, when you're and wealthy and in a lot of ways when you're recruiting students that might be different talking about that sense of belonging and how they're really an integral part of the community and then thinking about not just of the of the the total population's mental health uh as a part of the institution but those that come from different backgrounds that have different challenges and making sure that they too know that the resources are there to take care of them and maybe some issues that they haven't really had the time to stop and really think about this is uh, this is really huge, and I, I think one of the themes that I'm hearing is the, there are two themes that are emerging in my mind here is that it's it's access to information and access to people, access to relationships. And, and I think, Michael, your point is really well taken there at the end, uh, especially with the use of the word belonging. Uh, so funnily enough, last week we actually, in my office, we had a great session with our new vice provost for diversity, equity, and inclusion, and a, a central component to her philosophy or, or her mission as she sees it here at the institution is this incorporation of belonging as a concept, as a, as a part of the DEI framework. I wonder, actually, Wendy, you know, as you're counseling students, as you're, as you're working with your population and also with your staff, what, does, what do those conversations around belonging look like? How does that sort of come up with your students and, and what do you tell them what do you tell them to look for in, in colleges and in conversations with, with folks like Michael and I who, who work on the admission side? That's a great question. And actually, yes, it's a topic that has definitely come up. Um, and so belonging is finding your community, right? And, and community, it's also breaking down that concept of that it's only based on your skin color um, or what area you necessarily come from, but truly defining what your community means to you, whether it's with theater, whether it's on a sports team, um, whether it is those fighting the social justice fight, um, or, you know, yes, like your religion, right? Thinking outside of that of a truly defines your community and then helping students find that um, and asking questions, right, around what that community would look like for them on the campus. So, we tell students, right, um, college representatives are there to answer your questions. And that's the number one thing you can do, whether you're virtual or in person. That <laughs> is something that you certainly um, should be doing. Um, and so asking like what it looks like for them to provide them details, to get connected to someone um, directly, right? Like wonderful world about technology, you have access to directory or you can find someone's email or you can reach out. Um, uh, through the website and you can send a request for more information and hopefully get connected to someone um, who can truly talk to you about, you know, what is available to you on campus. So thank you so much. I appreciate that. I, I think the other one of the other things that comes up in this conversation, especially around belonging, is the way 
and Michael, you you started to allude to this as well as that need for students to come onto campus to see to see, smell, taste, really experience viscerally that student culture and, and that lifeblood of campus. As we know, for, for years, the, the fly-in has been a really powerful tool for communicating to underserved students that, that these places that are institutions, I should say, are a place where they can be successful, are a place where they can find a home. And yet we know that in the light of the pandemic, these uh, these programs have been effectively curtailed. And so I wonder, you know, what what does the lack of these opportunities mean for underrepresented students? And what opportunities do you, do you both think are available, uh, opportunities for innovation, I should say, do you think have become available for, uh, for institutions to rethink inclusive recruitment in this, in, in this new era that we're entering? Well, when when you talk about the the fly-ins and then living through a global pandemic that has its up and downs and has its limitations for our populations um i go back to things that i learned along the way professionally and you you don't want to waste a good crisis to innovate uh and to think about different ways so with the fly-in at university of richmond we're fortunate enough to have a, a staff that's committed uh, from the president saying that everybody's job is about belonging and diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, that was willing to look at things creatively. And when we could not do the traditional fly-in, have students in the dorms and staying with, with our students, uh, and we just couldn't have the same number of students, we looked at it differently because parents are partners in this in this particular enterprise. And so we were able to look at investing a way to bring fewer students, but also let them bring one of their guardians or parents to campus. Uh, and where the need was there, we were fortunate to be able to uh, fund that particular person coming. And we put them in an environment, it was a hotel, where they'd be close to campus, where it could be COVID safe, and we ran parallel programs. In that instance, for those families that, that are underrepresented, that typically uh, may not have the opportunity to visit college or to visit college with families, we made it so that it's a more intimate program and one where both are getting their needs met. Uh, and we even had folks that are bilingual on our staff in financial aid and in admission to be able to speak with some parents who where either English wasn't their first language or where they were more comfortable speaking uh, in Spanish or only spoke Spanish. Um, meeting the kids where they are and really going through some extra efforts to make sure that they know from the beginning not only that you really want them there, but what are what are the questions that typically go unanswered until you get to campus that you can ask now so that you can make an informed decision that goes beyond um, just what is what is the place that I can afford or the place that somebody told me I can go? What what feels right for me? Where do I feel that belonging? Where do I feel like there's a place that's going to make me better or allow me the opportunity to get better? How can I find that out before I get there? And that's, that's, I think, is where the opportunity is. And don't get me wrong, I really want to lose these masks and, and get rid of this, this, uh, this thing as much as we can. But while we have it, we, we, want to, we want to be creative about making sure that we still give that access and don't forget about that as we go through this process. 
I will say University of Richmond's fly-in program this year was one of the most creative ones I've heard of so far. Um, when we had a few students actually get um, get in and accepted and they told us a parent could come along, I can't express the smiles on our faces. Um, many families don't get that opportunity. And so that has been wonderful because many students, they they either have to make the decision to go in person um, and slightly feel uncomfortable because they may have older parents or, you know, someone in the family that they may feel like, you know, they don't want to expose um, or just being completely virtual and not being able to, like what Michael said, like smell, breathe, be at the campus and really, you know, walk the halls, sit in a classroom, um, you know, interact with the people that they will ultimately interact with when once they step foot on campus. And so, I mean, many of our students are at a disadvantage when students don't come out with these creative ideas to, to keep them safe and still get them to be at the campus. Um, websites are great. <laughs> Talking to people virtually is great, but there's so much more when you are in person. And like I said, like you're breathing the air on campus, right? Like particularly when we're talking about PWIs, and like I said, just breaking down those assumptions, many individuals are fearful of what they will face when on campus, right? Until they actually step foot and are able to interact and be like, oh, this isn't bad, right? Like I, you know, even though this is, it, it, I look, my peers look different, I can still interact. Um, I can still build bonds. I can still build relationships, um, mentorships from here. Um, and so that really is where our students are disadvantaged. And so Yes. Um, I, these hybrid models is somewhere is something that we've definitely, um, I think, are a little bit more excited about because we have seen where um, colleges that have stayed virtual, they're able to accept more students um, into their programming. And, and so they are able to get more information out there, even though they're not physically there, they're able to still connect them with the resources that are available on campus, which, again, is extremely helpful to our students who don't know um, what they don't know. And so that's been really vital. Um, and ultimately being virtual also has allowed them to meet more peers. Um, so more students are <laughs> invited. And so from there, they're able to just meet more students. Um, a lot of the times, even coming from the same high school, they, they don't know, um, but they're like, okay, like more people are invited. There's a bigger group that, that, that I can engage with um, and build relationships with and, and ultimately keep them for a little bit longer. Um, and hopefully up until when they select to go to that school. One of the treasures that, that you're talking about as well, Wendy, is, is like the connection that students that maybe haven't met are making from different parts of the country. And I feel like we're really in a privileged position when we can bring people together that even if they don't end up at the, at the same university or college because they figure out they have different needs, they've still made a friend and or, or a networking opportunity where who knows when their path might cross where they might be able to collaborate or help each other out. Much the way that the, the admissions field is one where um, we know each other, uh, a lot of us. And when we don't, when we say we're admission community-based organization, high school counselor working with children, uh, we jump to help each other out. And that can be built from with the students early on. Absolutely. And it's, Michael, that's a great point because things like this podcast wouldn't exist if it weren't for that kind of community. So really grateful that the profession is, is as it is. 
and I, I, one of the things that I think I really appreciate about what you both said that I'd like to explore a little bit further is the connection to parents and families. And especially because this is, this is something I feel comes up semi-regularly in our profession, especially on the admission side. I think we're constantly asking ourselves, to what extent should we be communicating with parents and families? What's the right amount of communication? What's the right information to share as we want to be supportive? And we also want to encourage students to, to stand on their own two feet, right? We want to, we want to build some independence. So I think it's always been, it's always difficult for admission offices to really strike that balance between what is the right way to communicate with parents. And maybe there's a generational overlay here as well, but in your opinions, you know, where in, in this era that we're currently living in, what, what should our role as admission officers or, or as CBO counselors, what should our role be in the way that we interact with and, and communicate with parents or family members, I should say? That is a very good question. Um, I don't have a specific answer, but uh, yes, there should be involvement. Um, and I think that's something that we've always asked for um, when having conversations with different colleges, like what, um, what access do parents have? Because they do play a vital role. We tell our students all the time, it is a family decision. When you go to college, it is a family decision. It impacts everyone, um, which is why we strategically have meetings um, throughout the time that our students are in our program. We are educating them along the way because many times, they're educating their peers, they're educating their family friends. Um, they have children who are coming after. And again, like they're trying to educate them to again, allow them to take advantage of as many opportunities as they can. Um, but I don't know how many times I could tell you that <laughs> I can tell you what I do for a living. Um, and I could tell you, you know, how long I've been doing this for. And a parent will always have some hesitation and will want to hear directly from a college themselves um, or another parent directly, right? Who has endured what, you know, what they're about to go through. Um, I do have a four-year-old, so they don't believe me because <laughs> she's not there yet. Um, but I've had many parents talk to other parents within the program who have had a child who has gone through college or is going through college and it makes them feel a lot better about the decision they're making, particularly when you're talking about them leaving home, um, you know, and leaving the state is even bigger. Uh, and so it's, it's extremely vital. And, and the, I wish there was more programming. One of the amazing things, um, and we didn't, I'm not saying this on purpose, but University of Richmond <laughs> has been there for us. We have done programming together. And so we have gotten together um, with Radford and, you know, University of Delaware, and, and we've done Spanish programming for parents to just know more. And let me tell you, I could have told them the same thing, but they didn't believe me until these schools were telling <laughs> everything I had told them before. Um, and so, and, and I think that's really important, right? And it's okay, it's okay. Um, but I think that is where, you know, we could do a little bit better on the college end. Well, my, my, my PSA is that I've, I've been here for six months, but Wendy, I took that time to really just think about and reflect on that question. And so here it comes from a, a father of four, with uh, two in college, uh, a, a senior and, and a sophomore, and then 13-year-old identical twins, all girls for those out there keeping count. Um, 
And then I draw back on some experience early on that I accidentally landed on. And I went to this, this little high school in, uh, in New York City called Martha Valle High School. And there's one person that uh, most people on this podcast will know their name of. It's either, either the, the star, Rosario Dawson, or, uh, or Corey Booker's uh, significant other, who was at the school and managing a Reebok shop downtown. There are other people in her class. And I ended up recruiting one, and I asked permission to use her name. Maria is, is somebody that that told me the story about how important it was not just that i came to the school and talked about what what the opportunity was but that i also took the time to actually meet her parents and and talk to them about why it was important to have her come and visit the school uh, i never talked to rosario after she talked after she got her role with spike lee but uh, Maria still stays in touch from time to time and thinks about saying somebody saw me as somebody that was from here that that really loved classical music and different kinds of music than what was comfortable in my neighborhood and that really saw something in me that others didn't see. We have to be those kinds of people with the parents. They're a part of that because every parent sees something in their child that I as an admission officer cannot see and it's an important part of the puzzle when you're having families join the community. Um, and so I'm glad that that's resonating with people. It's hard work. It doesn't necessarily fit every business model, but it fits the heart of every admission officer that's trying to change the lives of kids that are pursuing education. Whether they, whether they come with everything that you possibly could think about or they come with with nothing, they still need those mentors in their lives. They still need those people that are going to care and see them for who they are. And part of that is when they have a parent or guardian present, uh, you know about that. And I'd like to add that sometimes they don't have conventional families uh, and you don't always know that story. Uh, I think about uh, my good friend, Steve Pemberton, who uh, used to work in the BC admission office a while ago. He's written a couple of books and, and I knew him then but did not know that when he walked to campus at Boston College, he had nothing but but a suitcase and didn't really have uh, anything but like a mentor that was willing to take him in when he had nothing else. Uh, it's it's a beautiful thing when you have people in your life that see you for who you are, and then really want to help you have that opportunity to make it make it better. That's powerful. Uh, thank you, thank you both so much. It's it's so it, it makes me think about. Um, you know, almost as our role as affirmers, like we have a we have a responsibility to affirm, whether that's in the messages, Wendy, that you're trying to get across to your parents, that we can be that second person that steps up and says, yes, she's right. Listen to her. She knows all of this stuff. And I can I can promise you that she's an expert or if it's just in affirming what they already may believe to be true about themselves. It's like, yes, you are valid. Yes, you do have this ability. Yes, you are talented. And we're going to do what we can to get you to a place where you can build upon that and become even more so. Uh, so that's uh, that's inspiring. Oh, uh, this is why I love the work. Uh, this is why I love the podcast. We get to have these inspiring conversations. So, Michael, I, I want to hear a bit more uh, about uh, your what you're bringing to your new role, especially you know given your path, right? I, I think you you have done one of the more non traditional pathways in the profession in that you've gone from the counseling side to the admission side, uh, a move that's not very typical in our work. And I'd love to hear 
How is that past experience informing your leadership of the office in Richmond? And in what ways are you and your team innovating in the inclusive recruitment space? Okay. So uh, I'm in my first year. So a lot of the innovation and, and that type of thing, I have to give credit to just a really creative team. And, and I'm bringing what I can to that. But bringing that experience from the counseling side, uh, when you're counseling students or when you're working in a community-based organization, you're, you're really sitting in the quintessential living room of the student, having multiple opportunities to really peel back uh, all the layers of things that are impacting that child's life. And that gives a perspective so that when we have this snapshot, which might be the, the application essay, it, that's authentically done. It might be meeting the student. It, it's kind of, you, you, you don't come with a cookie cutter piece because they can smell marketing. They've been marketed to all their lives. They have social media that even the most savvy of us adults don't understand how it works with them. Uh, really trying to meet them where they are and, and have a, a transparency. At the University of Richmond, uh, when you think about the city of Richmond, and the past year when there's been discussions and different opinions about what role monuments for Confederates should play. Being able to have an honest conversation about what's happening on your campus and in your city with these really intellectual and smart students who don't want to hear everything's great. You got a great scholarship. You got a great package. You'll get a great education. You'll get a great job. They're going to do that wherever they go but you want to find out if you can be the person or the institution that can help make them better. I think that's something that we all can do better. My whole, my whole staff, and this was something that we talked about a lot, took advantage of two of the, uh, the NACAC anti-racist institutes talking about bias and in, in committee reading and, and, uh, and unconscious bias. And, and it was, and it's not just the admission officers. It was, it was the whole staff. It was administrators, people, all of them had that opportunity. And we made that investment because we think that it's everybody's job to be aware and to be conscious and to feel comfortable about discussing tough topics. Um, I think that's incumbent upon us as a, as, a, as a profession to continue those things in our professional development conferences, to continue those things in, in the meetings that we have where, where we're sitting just kind of connecting at different professional development or whether it's social, that type of thing, because having conversations about everything that matters for the dream that I have as an educator, which is to change students' lives, I think the more people that I talk to that share that and the more perspectives that I get, the better that I and they will be. Um, because no one of us, and this is not my quote, don't ask me who said it, is smarter than all of us. <laughs> I will. Uh, what we can do to quote you there, Michael, is we can we can pull out the text and then we can say unknown speaker and then we'll put you right after that and say Michael Pina. We'll pull the old Michael Scott Wayne Gretzky trick on that quote. How's that sound? I'll do that. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for that insight. I really appreciate that. And now, Wendy, I'd like to turn to you as well, and I'd love to hear, you know, what are you, what are you hearing from folks on our side? What are some of the major trends that you and your organization are seeing in terms of the ways that we are striving to be more equitable in the ways that we're communicating with students? And as a result of that, what are, especially in your new role as the manager of the scholars program, 
what is your strategy around how you are encouraging your students to get out there around how you're leading your team as they work with students? Well, it looks like virtual is here to stay. (laughs) That is what I'm being told, Um, or at least a hybrid mix, um, a hybrid model. And so it's simply for the reasons that you can do more outreach. Colleges can can definitely uh, reach more areas, um, reach more high schools. I've seen um, some schools that I've never seen in some of our partner high schools now have access to them. Um, And they're able to share more. So a lot more focused on helping students with the college application process. So workshops focused on explaining financial aid, talking about that college essay, which is really important, talking about letters of recommendations um, and providing advice and recommendations to students. And so they're able to do that um, more so now. And, And so, and that's wonderful to hear because our students really do need that. Um, It also looks like a lot of policy changes around test optional and financial aid, (laughs) which I know has been another hot topic of the year. Yes. Um, And more schools are just pushing, they're they're extending their their test optional policies, right? Like Harvard um, just came out and said that they're going to extend Pomona is another one. Um, And so, you know, that's also something that I think um, we're looking very closely at. Um, to make sure to see, you know, what institutions are really going to be best fits Um, and understanding, right, that many institutions are still evaluating that data, right, to really see what test optional is going to mean for for their school, for their students. Um, And so that's really important. And then, of course, financial aid. Um, I feel like I say this a lot, but can't stress it enough. Um, So just implementing different financial aid policies or changing their financial aid policies um, or taking on, you know, scholarship initiatives to really help close that gap for those students who really do need it and make it possible for them to to be successful at their institution. Um, And so as far as how that's going to change the way that we do things, um, we are placing more emphasis on these institutions that are there to provide um, what the student needs a lot more now than ever, right? So being strategic around, you know, who we are inviting into our classroom. Um, I say this in quotes because we are still virtual. Um, but who we're inviting um, to, to connect with our students. Uh, we offer what's called a core curriculum where our students learn about these lifelong skills that they're going to need um, that they don't necessarily learn in the classroom. And we have a lot of colleges who are coming to interact with our students and they're able to, you know, to share their knowledge on, on those aspects and how, you know, their students on their campuses are utilizing those skills. But also, it's time for them to to really get to know, like, wow, these college representatives are here to to teach us. They want us to learn more, right? Um, And then really understanding that, um, I mean, impression means a lot to them, right? And so for someone where they know, like, oh, these are college representatives who have to read applications, they have to travel, they have to meet with all these students, are making the effort to get to know us, like, that that's where I want to be, right? Like that is step one. Um, and so that's definitely changing for us. Well, I, I, wanna, I wanna just add, you know, the, the virtual is here to stay in some respects. And the, the cautionary tale for us on the admission side is that we need not go too far to depend on it. We should use this tool that we've created so that we can expand the access to information but I go back to uh, back to my 1900 stuff. You know, there there used to be these blind taste tests between Coke and Pepsi, 
and people like Coke and Pepsi, I can tell you something right now, both have great marketing arms and, and great commercials. If you've never, if you don't drink Coke and Pepsi, that's fine. But if you've never tasted a Coke or a Pepsi, then you're not really going to know which one you really like. You might choose one if it's the only choice you have. But what makes what makes us better as universities and colleges is when somebody chooses us because we're the best for them, not just because they're in the desert thirsty and it's the only thing to drink. We're the best for them, then they give it back. Wow. <laughs> now that's a nice proverb. I like that. That's good. <laughs> and I will say, I, I think what this does, this is this also highlights, I think, the importance of our role truly as educators and not just administrators, which I think, you know, if you talk to certain populations in education, uh, you know, maybe faculty might take issue with uh, admissions folk claiming to be educators, but I do think it's true. I, I think we do, we in many ways do have this opportunity to educate, to teach, to serve in, in a very practical sense for students, especially those students who don't have access to that information. So. I come down firmly on the side of admission folk, counselors as educators and administrators as a dual appointment. <laughs> Excellent. So, uh, you know, as we begin to wind down the conversation, you know, really want to strive to to end positively. And I, I wonder, you know, we're we've spoken a lot about the challenges, right? The challenges that are facing our students, that are facing our work. I wonder what are you both most excited for, you know, looking ahead in this space when it comes to opportunities for access and inclusion in admission and counseling. What's exciting? What does the future hold uh, positively for us? You know, what what I'm most excited about coming on coming back to the admission side of the table is that I've come back in a time where a lot of the technology has changed but the hearts and minds of the people that are doing this work in terms of what they're interested in remains constant. They want to make it a better world by putting the best students in the best positions. Yes, it's competitive out there, but that's one where we're collegial and we actually come, come together on that. Um, I'm most excited about being a part of innovating for access. Uh, this, you know, this crisis caused many people that were either thinking about or on the fence about uh, being test optional or planning a few years back to have to open up their creativity and to really access that ability to, to still pick the best students with a different set of tools. And we've done it. I'm, I'm, I think that it, it shows and it's allowed access for, for people in times where they might not have had it. I think we can continue to do that and refine that and get better at it. And then to the extent that some sort of metric is needed, there's, there's enough creative minds out there looking at our individual processes so that we can do it in a way that, that doesn't limit access the way that uh, sometimes some standardized testing has done. Michael took my answer. <laughs> it wasn't going to be as nicely said, <laughs> but I am, I am excited for all the innovation that's coming. Um, this, I think it has forced us to really look at what else can be done and really allow people to get creative um, and allow for more students and more individuals, professionals to, to take advantage of many opportunities. And I'm excited to be a part of that. 
um, truthfully. And then, yes, like I get to partner and collaborate with people who want to do this. Like we're in it um, to, to really better help and make an impact. Um, and I can't ask for anything more. So that is what I'm truly excited for. I could not have said that better, Wendy. That was beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, amazing. Thank you both. I, and lastly, you know, for those, for those of us, uh, you know, that are younger professionals, emerging professionals, newer to the world of college admission counseling in this space of recruitment, as we look ahead, right, as we look ahead to the innovation and what, what the future holds, what knowledge or advice would you share is most important, especially for those newer folks to the profession to hold in mind? You know, what, what, should, they, uh, what should they keep as their center of gravity in the professional philosophy? Um, pose questions, pose those new ideas. Again, coming back to this world of creativity and innovation, don't be afraid to do it. Um, those are the two things that are just going to keep us going. Um, and you know, your voice will be heard. And, and for me, uh, having, having a team that includes, uh, younger and more seasoned professionals, I think that it's important when you come into this profession, don't lose the idealism as you implement the new tools, because this is a human process for those doing holistic admission. And it's about those students and families on the other side. Um, enjoy that, embrace that. When you have to say no to somebody that you really want to say yes to, have that cry if you need it. You know what I mean? But when you get to say yes to somebody that you didn't think would have that opportunity, have that celebration too. Uh, if, you, if you stay even in the idealism, then those ups and downs will even up to even out to being um, just the amazing individual having the impact on the world that you want to have. And you might not have imagined that it could come from being an admission counselor uh, or, or somebody working in education. My mother did, and all she got to do, and I say all, was be a, be a teacher's aide uh, from the time I was born and commute and you know, start a reading program and a busing program in the Mecca program. So the kids would read on their way to school. And, uh, and when she passed, you know, it was like people flying from all over the country to see this teacher's aide who gave them something to eat when they were hungry, who taught them how to read, who really changed their trajectory on what they thought they could be or what they could do when they were in first through fifth grade. We have an impact. We have a job to do. Stay idealistic because you never know when, when people are thanking you just because they're not in your face saying thank you. Ooh, just going to let that one sink in there for a moment. Oh, it's powerful. Thank you. Thank you for that. This is, this is human work. Mm. Well, that brings us just about to the end of this episode. There's one last thing though, and this is the part where I stop talking and I turn it over to our guests for the last word. This is the opportunity for our guests to share something, anything on their mind, related to the work of college admission. It doesn't have to be about our topic today. It doesn't have to be about re inclusive recruitment. It could be anything, more advice. It could be a quote. It could be uh, a philosophical musing that you had or a blistering hot take on what's new and exciting in college admission, or maybe just whatever music is getting to you through the day. But this is it. This is the last word. Wendy, what do you have for us? I actually saw this post on social media. 
And it asked, um, or it said, when people ask what you do, the answer was, I'm doing my best. And that is what I have to say. You must remind yourself that we are all doing our best and that whether you're at work, you're at home, you're at the store shopping. Um, I mean, I have to remind myself when I'm hanging out with my four-year-old, we are doing our best. And, and that is amazing. Wow. Wow. Hey, you know, Wendy, you almost stole my answer, almost. But this is what I would do. It's actually on the website as my quote. And it's something that I would tell my students when I was counseling them. Always to remember, your best is good enough. And to remind parents, your best is good enough. Uh, because it's about us being uh, healthy and striving and doing your best, as Wendy said. Uh, I, I love this profession. I love the people I get to work with. And I love the relationships that I don't have yet. Parents, hang in there. We'll get through this too. Beautiful. And you wouldn't know that you were just meeting today on this episode of the podcast. You two dovetailed so nicely on that. Thank you. Thank you both for your time. Thank you for joining us in this episode of the Anchor Exchange. We so appreciate the conversation and uh, wish you the best of luck. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to the rest of the podcast team. Our two co-producers, Kristen Carter, university counselor at Rochambeau, the French International School in Bethesda, Maryland, and Carla Goodwin, assistant director of admission at George Mason University in Fairfax, Virginia. This show cannot be done without their dedication and collaboration. The mission of Potomac and Chesapeake is to support and advance college admission professionals. As a nonprofit organization, this is made possible by the support of our membership. If you value the work of PCACAC and you shop on Amazon.com, I'll ask that you consider setting up your Amazon Smile with Potomac and Chesapeake as the primary charity. By doing so, a small percentage of your Amazon purchase costs will be directed to the organization. It may just be a few clicks for you, but every little bit adds up and makes it possible for Potomac and Chesapeake to continue and expand the work of college access and admission across our region. Thank you so much. Thank you.